0: Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, C-U-K-C is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. Support also comes from Grandma's
1: Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's office catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com
2: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nugia-Dean. Today is Monday, February 7th. Welcome to our 100th episode. Coming up, our weekly conversation on what you need to know about the Kansas and Missouri legislatures. But first, some headlines. The Missouri Supreme Court will hear oral arguments today on a controversial gun law that would penalize local police departments if they enforce federal gun laws. Kayvon Mansouri has more.
0: Missouri's Second Amendment Preservation Act allows anyone to sue local police departments for up to $50,000 if they believe their rights to firearms have been infringed. St. Louis and Jackson County tried to block the law from taking effect, but after a Cole County judge left the law in place, St. Louis and Jackson County turned to Missouri's highest court. The Justice Department sided with St. Louis and Jackson County. Justice Department lawyers called the law a, quote, clear and substantial threat to public safety, unquote. That's because Missouri police are no longer assisting in federal investigations for fear of ending up in court due to the statute. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt called the Cole County judge's decision an important victory over President Joe Biden's Justice Department.
2: Kansas lawmakers are attempting to stifle investigations of physicians who prescribe unproven and potentially dangerous off-label drugs to treat COVID-19. The move comes after Republican Senator Mark Steffen, a Hutchinson anesthesiologist, revealed he's under investigation. He won't say why, but he indicated it's related to his views about using hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to treat COVID-19. The drugs have been approved by the FDA, but not for COVID patients. Even so, some lawmakers want to prohibit the state medical board from disciplining doctors who prescribe drugs for off-label use. Republican Representative Jesse Burris says it's not just the Stefan investigation he wants to stop.
0: It's also based on other information relating to how the board is investigating one of our House colleagues' personal position.
2: The stop order is in a budget bill scheduled for a final vote in committee this week. Kansas lawmakers are also poised to consider several proposals aimed at further tightening the state's election laws as soon as this week. Some of them are prompted by concerns about the 2020 election. Republican Representative Randy Garber says Democratic President Joe Biden's strong performance against former President Donald Trump in the state's two largest counties is a red flag for him.
0: I feel it
3: raises enough doubt to warrant further action. The Kansas legislature needs to call for a full forensic audit of Johnson and Sedgwick counties for the 2020 election.
2: Biden was the first Democratic presidential candidate to carry Johnson County since 1916. Federal and state election officials say the claims of widespread voter fraud are baseless. Some of the proposals in the Kansas legislature would tighten advanced voting rules. Others would require increased scrutiny of voter registration rolls. We're now a month into the legislative sessions in both Kansas and Missouri. Redistricting has been center stage, but other bills and controversy are making their way through the capitals, too. KCUR's Brian Ellison sat down with two state house reporters to round up the latest.
0: Joining me from Topeka is Jim McLean, the Kansas News Service. Jim, good to hear from you. Uh, Yeah, hi, Brian. And in Jefferson City is Jason Hancock, editor of the Missouri Independent. Welcome to you, Jason. Thanks for having me. So let's start by something I thought we might be done talking about by now, but it's still at the top of the agenda in both states, congressional redistricting. And in both states, the proposals that are out there have real and significant implications for the Kansas City area. Jason, let's start on the Missouri side. There's still no agreement in the Missouri Senate about what the map should look like.
1: That's right. You had a map that came out of the Missouri House. It's the so-called 6-2 map. That's the map that sort of protects the current partisan breakdown of Missouri's delegation. Keep the draws a district for Kansas City that uh, currently represented by Emanuel Cleaver, a Democratic district in St. Louis, represented by Cory Bush, and then six Republican seats. But you have conservatives in the Senate uh, and buttressed by sort of national politics, uh, you know, in uh, our Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, trying to get Republicans to draw a 7 1 map that would take the Kansas City district and crack it. And there's one version of this map that has Kansas City, downtown Kansas City, and downtown Branson in the same district, hoping that you would then elect seven Republicans. Uh, that's sort of been the push and the pull uh, during this whole debate. You have legislative leadership saying, no, we're gonna we're doing the six-two out of fear that by trying to go for seven-one, you're gonna accidentally elect more Democrats if it's a good Democrat year, and and the other side refusing to back down, and we've been stuck in this sort of limbo for a couple weeks yeah. now, in the hopes that when uh, lawmakers return this week, that they can try to hammer out some sort of compromise. But it's been very elusive so far, and uh, it's just an indication that the Republicans in the state Senate are just not getting along, and this is probably just the most high-profile version of that fight.
0: Jason, one of the things I've heard folks worried about is that they won't be able to approve uh, any MAP with a two-thirds majority, uh, and two-thirds is required to approve the the so-called emergency clause that would let the MAP take effect sooner than August, which, of course, is when uh, primary elections are supposed to be held. So so what happens if there is no emergency clause and we don't have a map as it, we go into those primaries?
1: It's a very, very good question, and nobody's been able to give me a really good answer for. I mean, technically, primaries are a party function, and so you could uh, make the case that you don't have to have um formal maps in place for the party to pick its candidates i think i've heard that argument floated i think it's important for people to know that at this stage in the game the likelihood of those maps actually being in place when the august primary happens is very remote uh, there's just not two-thirds consensus on anything at this stage of the game because if they do a map that brings enough Republicans on board to pass it, the emergency clause at least will get spiked in the House because the Democrats won't go along with it and they don't have enough votes with just Republicans to pass an emergency clause. So I think the ship is almost sailed at this point on the idea of getting the map in place before the primary. At this point, they're just hoping to get the map in place, period. Um, <laughs> and and, and <laughs> just to make sure that before people start filing, to run for office, they have some sense of where their, their district lines are going to be.
0: Okay, so I wish I could say things are less complicated on the Kansas side, but Jim McLean, I'm not sure they are. On Thursday, Governor Laura Kelly vetoed the map approved by the legislature, a map that has really angered some Kansas City folks, especially Democrats. Remind us why?
3: I'll do that, Brian. But I think things are complicated in a slightly different way over here. Yeah, you're right, though, but uh, no less complicated. The map I think that's uh, that is being roundly criticized, particularly by people, many people in the Kansas City area, is drawing that criticism because it would split a part of Wyandot County out of the third congressional district, which is represented by the lone Democrat in the state's congressional delegation, Sharice Davids, and it would move that district uh, over uh, into the second district. Uh, people who testified at the public hearings prior to this map being drawn said over and over and over again they wanted to keep the core of the third district intact, and the way they envisioned that core uh, is Wyandot County with the industrialized metro part of Johnson County. Uh, Republicans said they had had to make big changes in this district because it, it exceeded population parameters. And they wanted to keep Johnson County in and of itself whole, so they chose to split off part of Wayne County. And that gives me an opportunity to say that this map was pushed through the legislature by Republicans who have super majorities in both houses.
0: there's a good chance it all ends up in court anyway, right? On what grounds could a court intervene in Kansas's congressional redistricting?
3: Yeah, a lot of people are saying that this fight will eventually end up in the courts, as it did a decade ago. Uh, And again, we'll we'll go back. Uh, One of the important things when you're redistricting, of course, population, uh, the districts need to be roughly uh, of equal size, equal population size, and Republicans say they were going for, quote-unquote, zero deviation, which they achieved. Uh, But another really important consideration when you're talking about redistricting uh, uh, and I think it comes into play with what Jason mentioned with downtown Kansas City being married to downtown Branson, is what they call communities of interest. And that's where this whole Wyandotte County debate comes into, is you're dividing a very specific community of interest, specifically uh, racial and uh, ethnic voters there.
0: Jason, a big story last week in Missouri was the demise of Governor Mike Parsons pick to head the Department of Health and Senior Services. The Senate Gubernatorial Appointments Committee declined to take a vote on Donald Kaurauf, which meant he couldn't be confirmed or renominated. A conservative governor, conservative uh, nominee, a conservative Senate. How did this all fall apart?
1: It's. Uh, I'm going to probably sound like you know second verse same as the first, but the uh, you know these divisions in the Missouri Senate have really created this dynamic where there's three parties. There's a Democratic Party, a Republican Party, and then this conservative caucus that has really been at war with Republican leaders in the Senate for about a year now. Wait, I just gotta interrupt
0: to say uh, that uh, must sound pretty familiar to you, Jim McLean, over on the Kansas side. Yes, it sounds familiar, although um, really we're consolidating. For years and years and years, there were three
3: parties, the moderate Republicans, the conservative Republicans, and the Democratic minority. Although, I've gotta say that uh, conservatives have really consolidated uh, their forces in both houses of the legislature. What's left of the moderate wing of the Republican Party is, is really on the decline.
0: So, Jason, the moderate Republican Republicans still hold all the leadership roles in Missouri, but uh, the conservatives have enough clout in the Senate to uh, to hold up things like this nomination.
1: I don't even think they'd consider themselves moderates. I think they would consider themselves relatively conservative Republicans themselves, but there's just this dissidence between the two factions that, like you said, you had this the, the appointment that Governor Parsons made to lead the Department of Health and Senior Services. He was anti-mandate. You know, these, these uh, anti-mandate, groups flooded the capital, they were flooding lawmakers' inboxes and, and their and their phone lines and, and crying bloody murder about this guy who they thought was just, uh, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing in a lot of senses, because he had said a few things, like they'd made a study uh, internally that looked at mask mandates and found that they were effective in the places they were implemented. They looked, uh, he you know, he talked about things like masks working or vaccines being safe and hoping to get to 100% vaccination level. These were a bridge too far for some senators. And like you said, because they didn't confirm him and because the governor wasn't able to withdraw his name, he's now banned for life forever serving in that job. He was out of work. He was put into unemployment because of Senate inaction. And uh, they had to name an acting director from within the department and hope that this whole ordeal doesn't scare off any potential candidates down the road. It does seem like a risk. Uh, let me hit on a couple other
0: events we're expecting to be discussed in the state houses this week. Jim, uh, in Kansas, a major economic incentive package is being considered by the legislature. It's trying to lure a $4 billion manufacturing plant to Kansas. Thing is, we don't know who the company is. How does that work?
3: Well, that's raising some questions, as you might imagine. But you're you're exactly right. You you say it's a major economic development bill. I mean, really, what it would do is authorize the richest package of economic development incentives the state has ever laid on the table for this quote-unquote mystery company. The folks who are negotiating it, primarily the folks over at the Kansas Department of Commerce and folks in the Kelly administration, Governor Laura Kelly's administration, uh, say this is standard operating procedure when you're talking to one of these big companies looking to relocate or locate a facility. Is they never they always require you to sign non-disclosure agreements, and so uh, the name of the company can't be out there publicly, nor uh, can you give really any detail about what it is they manufacture and where they're actually looking at locating the plant. So we
0: don't know whose legislative district this is in.
3: We do not know. Here's the deal. It's a $4 billion manufacturing facility, which would be really the largest get in state economic development history. Uh, And along with this target company, they would bring uh, several of their suppliers to Kansas. uh, And those suppliers would also get economic uh, development incentives to to locate here. All told, they're looking at really more than 10,000 jobs being created by this if it comes to fruition. And they're looking at an annual economic impact of about $2.5 billion. So lawmakers, right now are struggling uh, with this economic development incentive package, the one proposed by the Kelly administration, and they're making some slight modifications in it, and uh, they have to be careful because modifications already made by the Senate, according to uh, administration officials, would be quote-unquote deal killers, and so they're having to walk through this very carefully.
0: Uh, Quickly, Jason, uh, moving on from legislation to uh, elections. Believe it or not, primary elections less than six months away and that crowded Republican primary race to succeed Roy Blunt in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Listeners might be surprised to learn that the Olympics uh, that have just gotten underway are providing a forum for the first attack ads in that Senate race. Tell us about
1: it. Eric Reitens, the former governor who was uh, forced to resign under uh, threat of impeachment and some felony charges. Is out with uh, well, it's not him personally. It's a super PAC that supports him. Is out with an ad. Uh, it aired during the opening ceremonies of the Beijing Olympics, attacking his chief rival for the nomination, Eric Schmidt, our Attorney General, on his his record on China. Uh, when when Eric Schmidt was a state senator, he supported a couple bills that Republicans would never touch in a million years. In a post-Trump world, one was to give some economic incentive package to, uh, to, to create a, a hub for Chinese goods, Chinese trade in the St. Louis airport, and another allowed a Chinese conglomerate to buy 40,000 acres of Missouri farmland. So these two things are now poisonous in the Republican primary. And Eric Greitens is really hoping to hammer Eric Schmidt over it. And it's an attack we, we saw coming. It's been sort of percolating behind the scenes for a while now. And it's an attack that was lethal in 2016 when Josh Hawley used it against Kurt Schaefer in the attorney general primary. Kurt Schaefer was also a state senator who voted for these bills. And it was just a devastating attack in that primary. Hawley went on to win by you know, double digits. Not saying that this is gonna mean that Eric Brighton's is gonna thump Eric Schmidt or that these two will be the front runners all the way through this primary season, but it's proof that it's a it is a, a big issue and the Republicans have gone very much further in the anti-China sentiment than they were when Eric Schmidt was casting these votes a decade ago.
0: That's Jason Hancock of the Missouri Independent and Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service, which is based here at KCUR. Thanks to both of you. Hey, thank you, Brian. Yeah, thanks.
2: That was KCUR's Brian Ellison. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nugia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more coverage of the Missouri and Kansas legislatures, visit kcur.org. If you like our show, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Like I said at the top of the show, this is our 100th episode. The team and I really appreciate you sticking with us for all these months. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.